0: Well, come on, uh, come on down. Sounds like The Price is Right, doesn't it? I'll call them up. Emma Bicknell, come on down. Here she is. <laughs> you have been chosen for The Price is Right. <laughs> okay. Well, do come on in. Find uh, find your seat good to gather together as, uh, as Christ Center. We've got a number of people this this morning who are actually in different places all around the country really. Um, Gary Galant has been out in Vancouver for the uh, last week and a, and a bit. He's been there the last two Sundays. So he'll be back uh, this week and uh, he's serving the church out there in Vancouver that we're partners with um, and the Charlottetown Church in PEI. They are having their church weekend this weekend, and uh, so Joe and Angela Crummy and their family have gone to serve them there, and they've taken uh, a number of others from us as well to just go along. So Trevor Parker's gone, Chelsea Burke's gone, Gina and Byron Crisp have gone, uh, maybe others as well, I can't remember. Um, But uh, it's great to have people serving in different places around the country, Um, so... That's where they are, and we are here, and uh, we are, my name's Mark, I'm one of the leaders here, if you don't know me uh, from previous to today, and I'm, uh, as Brent said, I'm preaching into a series right now on who we are as a church, and we're calling it This Is Us, and examining who we are as a church and what God has called us to. Um, It's very easy to plan lots of activities and programs for a church, Um, But from time to time, it's important to step back and remind ourselves who we are as God's church. And then after we know who we are, we can step out in faith and in the power of the Spirit uh, to do all that he's called us to do uh, into everything that he's called us into um, in the power of the Spirit. So that's what we're about in these uh, messages from now until Christmas. Uh, This month, myself and Brent are alternating messages. Brent is uh, s- still speaking on 2 Corinthians. When we hit October, we'll really get a good run of these, uh, of these series as well. So there's a lot of content in these messages. Um, for some people, it might be new to many, so as Brent said, if you want to dig deeper into some of these things, if it's fairly new to you, or if you just want more, please do sign up for that foundations course that Gary is running. He is going to be basing it on these messages primarily, and it'll just be an opportunity to ask a lot more questions and to explore it all. Gary is great at just opening this up as well, so I do encourage you uh, to sign up for that on the welcome table, especially if you're not part of a live group already. Or even if you're in a life group, maybe uh, step out of your life group for a few weeks and, and join that until Christmas. So we saw last time I preached that it's uh, to be involved in God's purposes is all about building a city with foundations. That's what we looked at, building a city with foundations rather than building something for our glory or for our ministry. And Ephesians 2.20, uh, and this is, the, uh, this is the verse that I'm going to put up, or I'm going to try and put up, or maybe the team at the back are going to put up. <laughs> now, I don't know who that was. Was that me or was that you? A bit of both. Um, Ephesians 2 speaks about um, the foundations that we built on, build on being apostolic foundations and prophetic foundations, uh, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself. As the cornerstone. So we looked at what it means to be built on apostolic and prophetic foundations. If you didn't hear that message, you can catch up on it on our website or our podcast. If you weren't here, so uh, today I want to continue to look at what it's being built on those foundations. And uh, most of the scriptures that I'm referencing will be on the screen because we really want to show that we're building uh, according to Scripture. Um, but this is our key passage that we're going to start off with in Ephesians chapter two. And uh, we're going to read through verse 19 through to 22 and, uh, and just look at some more of what is said here. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, Consequently, uh, Paul's been talking about how, uh, what Jesus has done and he's talked about how he's removed the dividing wall between us of hostility between us and God and between us and each other and how he's made us one new Uh, Man in Christ, a one new humanity humanity out of the two. Uh, And then he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right, so we see here Paul talking about the building built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The building is God's people rising, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit by his holy spirit and when paul speaks about the temple about his people being a holy temple uh, he's referring to and he's making a contrast with the temple uh, the first temple that the jews had known so let me just give you a little bit of a background to that in uh, you can read about it in first chronicles and in 22 King David is talking about building a temple. Up until then, God had been worshipped in different places. There was the tabernacle, which was moving around. Uh, it was kind of a big tent moving around God's presence there. But, but David uh, felt called, I'm going to build a temple. I'm going to build a building for God and and for God's presence to be manifested in. And he said, this was going to be a place of great magnificence, going to be a place of great splendor in the sight of all the nations. And he said, I'm going to make preparations for it. He actually wanted to build it himself. And God said, no, I want your son Solomon to be the one who built it. But David said, we're going to make preparations. We're going to start to prepare. And so they started collecting materials for the temple. and, uh, And David put in place people who were going to serve in the temple and they could prepare for when the temple was being built and he spent uh, the rest of his life making those preparations uh, for the temple that Solomon was then to build and the temple when it was built was magnificent nations came to marvel at it the queen of sheba came to look at the amazing temple that god had that had been built for god And His presence. Worship teams were prepared and gathered. The worship teams practiced for a whole generation to serve. Can you imagine worship teams practicing for years and years and years to play and worship God in the temple? And uh, the day came, when the temple was completed, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple and the worship band started up. We read about it in 2 Chronicles and verse 5. And they began to praise the Lord and they sang, He is good, His love endures forever. <laughs> and as they began to sing and as they began to worship the Lord, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and it says nobody could perform their duties or anything they'd been practicing because of the sheer awesome presence of God, which had come into the temple uh, when they began to worship Him. All those years of practice, all those years of worship practice—they start to worship. They get one line out: "He is good. His love endures forever." God's presence comes, and they fall on their knees, and they can't worship anymore. Like it's—it's <laughs> it's like wow pretty incredible, but that's what happened. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was truly awesome, but there was better yet to come. Throughout the Bible, we see in the New Testament, there's a principle at work, which is kind of sometimes being described as a how much more principle. This was the case before, but now when Jesus has come, how much more How much more, and we'll come back to this time and time again uh, in these messages. How much better, how much more is God doing through his new covenant people, through the church, than what went before in the old covenant and that we read about in the Old Testament. So God's new temple that he's talking about, which is his church, his people, God's new new, uh, temple is going to be far greater even than Solomon's temple. And how magnificent was that? And how amazing was the glory of God at that point? The first temple, Solomon's temple, was actually destroyed. It was thrown down by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And a new temple was built in Jerusalem. We read about it in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, some of the prophets as well. And, uh, and really that, uh, but, but it says that the people who'd seen the first temple, while everyone else was celebrating, they were weeping Because they said, oh, this is nothing in comparison to that first temple. And that temple was later destroyed as well. Or or Herod the Great started building maybe upon some of of that second temple. And he built an even greater temple and more magnificent. That was the temple that Jesus' disciples refer to in Mark chapter 13. And they were like, what a magnificent temple. And Jesus says, you know, it's all going to be thrown down. It's all going to be destroyed. It's He's saying it's nothing because he knew there was something greater coming. God is going to build a temple. God was going to build a temple, but it was not just a structure. And it wasn't linked to a specific location. That's what Jesus says to the woman at the well. I think Dave, you're going to have to move this on for us. Um, Jesus at the woman and t- talked to the woman at the well and they got into a discussion about where to worship. Oh, some people say Jerusalem, some people say on this mountain. And Jesus said, A time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus said, it's not going to matter. This whole discussion about where you're worshipping, is it in the temple, at, is it in Jerusalem, is it at this mountain? He said, no, 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 no. That's not, it's not going to be tied to a specific location. A time's coming, and now, because I'm here, it's, it's begun to come about where true worshippers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And that's what Ephesians 2 is talking about when Paul is talking about us being a temple of the Spirit and being built in together with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone on the foundations of apostles and prophets. But God is building something where his Spirit is going to be flowing freely, a temple of God's Spirit. Jesus was talking about a time when God was going to give his Spirit to ordinary people to men and women, boys and girls, ordinary people. Up until that point in the Old Testament, God's Spirit had been given, but just to a few people. And we see the Spirit of the Lord coming on an individual, or an individual there, or someone here, one time or another. But now, God's pouring out His Spirit upon all people. And God's glory would spread from a specific location in Jerusalem to the nations through His church his people. Habakkuk had prophesied about it in Habakkuk chapter 2 and 14. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covered the sea. And then it happened. Then it happened at Pentecost. We see God's spirit poured out God's Spirit is starting to be poured out. First of all, upon the, the twelve, or upon the, uh, uh, the twelve and the people who were gathered with them uh, on the day of Pentecost, as they were waiting, Jesus said, wait until the Holy Spirit's poured out. Then on that day, the Spirit is poured out, and people were baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and they started worshiping God in languages that they'd never learned. And they were the languages at that time of other, other nations, and so people were hearing the gospel being preached, they were hearing the good news about God being preached in their own languages, even though those disciples hadn't uh, spoken or learned those languages before. It was an amazing thing that was happening. The Spirit of God was causing something to happen in His people. Something amazing was beginning to happen, and it was received by faith. It was received by faith by the disciples, by the earlier followers of Jesus. And many were saved and added that day. And then they were filled as well. Peter was saying, look, this is for all of you. This isn't just for us. This isn't just for some elite group. He said, God's going to pour out the Holy Spirit to all of you. This is a promise which is for you and for your children and for all all of those who are far off. That includes us. That includes us. We receive it by faith. We can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives too. Sometimes in the Bible it's called being baptized in the Spirit. Sometimes it's called receiving the Spirit. Jesus talks about it and he says, Those who come to me, streams of living water will flow out from us. Whatever we call it, what it is, is an experience of God's Spirit dwelling within us, coming and filling us and then flowing out from us to the world. And God promises it to everyone who follows him, to those who call out on him, to those who receive it in faith. And we receive it in faith. We say, God, you've promised this. Jesus says, I'm, You know, if you, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you something evil. He's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's not a father who gives poor gifts. He's not a father who, when we ask for a gift, gives us something bad. He pours out his spirit to us and he will do it. And he will do it for each of us. Many of us here already know that to be true because it's happened in our lives. So suddenly, from the day of Pentecost onwards, we have a people who are functioning and and living and working and serving and, and operating and telling others about Jesus and whatever it is, worshiping in response to something internal in response to something that's happened inside of them, rather than responding because they've been told that's what you should do, rather than something external, whether that is the law or or additions to the law that were given by the Pharisees or whoever that was. You see, the old covenant was primarily external. It was about the law. It was about being told what to do. But now people are functioning from what's happening inside of them. So now the church is a place of faith, where faith can rise. It's a place where joy can rise up in our hearts. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of friendship. And it's functioning in reality. It's not about pretense. So much of of what was happening Before then was pretense. Jesus called it out in the Pharisees, didn't he? He said, look, you you stand and you give this big show of praying out or fasting. You make your faces pale. He says, it's all on the outside. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside. Inside, there's just death. It's pretty strong. But now there's something going on which is springing out from inside us. And it's that that motivates us and it's that that gives us life and it's that that gives us joy and it's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside each one of us. People functioning because they're persuaded from someone else or because they're told what to do are not generally known for their great joy. They're not generally known for their great faith because it's not about faith, it's about keeping the rules. And they're not known for their great freedom Because they're just doing what they're told they have to do. And they're keeping up appearances. That's not what God's temple is about. That's not what God's people, the church, is about. And it's important that we don't lose this. It's so central to who we are as a church. And the Galatian church slipped back into it. They slipped back into old ways. People came and said, oh, it's great that you're following Jesus, but you really need to be circumcised. You really need to do this. You really need to follow these regulations. And Paul came and he said, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? It's about the gospel. It's about faith. It's about life in the Spirit. Don't be taken away from that into this this dead religion. And works and trying to please and trying to do the right thing. That's not what it's about at all. It's about the spirit of God at work in us where God is alive and active in us. So what difference does it make practically for the church to be the temple of God's spirit? I want to highlight three ways today in which it makes a difference to us. And that's what, as a church, that's who we are. And that's what we're moving forward to in faith. So some of these things you might think, oh yeah, I see some of that. I see it happening. Some of it you might think, oh, that doesn't really seem to match up with my experience so far. Well, that's what we're moving towards in faith. We hope that you join us on that journey. We keep pressing on to be the church that God has called us to be. And those three things are our worship and our work, so the way we serve, and our witness uh, to the world. I'm going to spend most time on the first one, so don't get too depressed when this one takes quite a while and you think, oh, my word, how much more (laughs) have we got? So we're going to look at our worship, first of all. It makes a difference to our worship to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. The Spirit of God transforms the worship Of the church. When we get filled with his spirit, when we have that baptism in the spirit, whatever we want to call it, something changes. There's something that cannot be contained. It's new wine, the Bible sometimes describes it as new wine being poured into us, and we have a new wineskin to accommodate that, and so we worship in spirit, by the spirit, and the spirit affects how we worship. Worship really is an overflow of our inner being, the Spirit's desire to glorify Jesus because the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies Jesus. And as we are filled with the Spirit, as the Spirit of God's dwelling in us, He desires to glorify Jesus and and wants us to bring glory to Jesus. So what happens is there's an eruption of worship on the day of Pentecost, as I said, the Spirit came in a very dramatic way. There was a violent wind. There was tongues of fire. People are speaking in these different languages, praising God. The Spirit erupted in a flow of glory to Jesus. And that continues afterwards throughout the church. Hebrews 13 uh, Oh, that's a verse I missed. Um, (laughs) But Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. The writer to the Hebrews is encouraging us that through Jesus, let's keep offering God this sacrifice of of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Sometimes people take this verse and they, and they slightly um, misunderstand it or misrepresent it because they say, because uh, when it's talking about a sacrifice of praise, it's not saying, oh, worshiping God is a real sacrifice. Oh, it's a real hardship. It's, you know, I, I've got to force myself to do it, give a sacrifice of praise. You know, okay, I suppose I won't stay in bed this morning. I won't go downtown to have brunch at Isaac's Way. I guess I'll sacrifice that. I'll go to the church meeting and I'll worship God. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about a sacrifice in, in that way. It's not even saying that things are very difficult in our lives and so sometimes we're struggling with things and we think, but I'm going to praise God anyway. It's not even talking about that. What it's contrasting is the Old Testament where there were sacrifices being brought which really were being brought by the priest on, on the people's behalf um, And were presented to God in the hope that God would find them pleasing. They had to bring uh, animals without blemish. And they were brought by the priest in the hope that they would be found pleasing to God. And the writer's pointing out, well, we don't have to do that anymore. Because of Jesus' death on the cross. Because he was the perfect sacrifice for us. Because he was the one who died in our place. And he took on our sin and it was all dealt with on the cross, we don't have to bring sacrifices any longer. We don't have to come with our animal time and time again and say, here you are, God, let this be acceptable to you so that I can in some way be in your presence. We can stand freely in God's presence. And so now, instead of that, we bring a sacrifice of praise. Well, it's the praise of our lips. It's us worshipping God. It's us glorifying him. And praising his name and saying how wonderful he is. And what he's done in our lives and how he's filled us with a new hope and a new joy. And a future which is secure. That's what our praise is. Let us offer God a sacrifice of praise continually. It's the fruit of our lips. Confessing his name. If we've been baptized in the spirit, the spirit of God in you. If this has happened to you, the spirit of God in you longs to glorify Jesus. He longs to worship Jesus. Now, we battle between, with the flesh. We, there's always this battle going on with the spirit and the flesh, and we can often default to the flesh. So, oh, I don't feel like doing that. Well, no, because there's a battle going on. I don't, oh, I don't want to do that. But let me tell you, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in you always wants to worship Jesus. Always always wants to glorify Jesus. So we can choose to sow to the Spirit instead of sowing to our fleshly bodies. We need to make sure that we do that. We need to make sure we believe this is in us. The Holy Spirit is living within us and we're not blocking that happening. There's no circumstances at all when it's inappropriate for us to glorify Jesus and to worship God. Psalm 34 and verse 1 Says, I will extol the Lord at all times. At all times. His praise will always be on my lips. We sing that, don't we? Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. That's what that's what the psalmist is saying, but that's true of us. I'll extol the Lord at all times. If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll worship. No matter, it doesn't matter if you like the song or not oh, we sang a new song this morning. Oh, do you know what? I'm, I can't, actually, I think it's a, a, a great song. But, but we can see, we can have a new song and we can just go, oh, I'm not sure about that song. Hey, worship God anyway. If you don't want to sing the words of that song, just worship something else. But it, Worship with something else, not worship. <laughs> There's a big difference there. <laughs> I'm glad you were listening. <laughs> Just worship God anyway it doesn't matter it doesn't even if you 're sick, you can still worship God, even if you 're in real distress in your life. we can still worship god i've been it's so encouraging i 've seen people who have been uh, with terminal cancer and they have been uh, and, and, and I knew they 've only had weeks to live and they 've been worshiping God and tears flowing from their eyes because The Spirit of God is alive with them. And they know that yes, there's pain and yes, there's hardship and yes, there's agony and all sorts of that. And that's very real, but also very real to them. is the God, Spirit of God living within them. And as we worship God, it doesn't need to be quiet either. In fact, the Bible encourages us for it not to be quiet. In Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 5 to 6, Uh, Isaiah the prophet Isaiah says sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things let this be known to all the world shout aloud and sing for joy people of Zion for great is the holy one among you shout for joy well well why do we shout why does God want us to shout surely he can hear us anyway surely we can worship God uh, just very quietly and I suppose well yes we can well why? But okay, well, shall we just shout inwardly then? We c- I'm shouting inwardly. Now, there's something about shouting and raising our voice. It releases something. It releases something in us. It, it, it stirs the spirit in us it, uh, as we shout and as we glorify God and as we sing loudly. Sometimes we can, we can sing and we can sing kind of quietly. And, and sometimes we can think, oh, that song, it's a, little, it's a little high. I can't quite get to it. Well, you can sometimes hit the notes if you really sing really loud. You can get those high notes. So sing and shout and make joyful noise to the Lord. When we're at a sports game and support our team, then then we can shout. We shout for them. I've, I've seen people in church meetings who are often very quiet in church meetings and then I go to a sports game with them and they're shouting at the top of their voice at their team. Let's shout to God. As we do it, we're not only praising God, actually, we're encouraging each other. And that's a big part of worship too, to encourage each other as we worship. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 through to 20 says this, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. So worship isn't just about speaking to God. There's a corporate element to it. There's a one another to it. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're encouraged to sing. Singing is such a key way to worship God. It's the way that God chooses primarily for us to worship Him. We don't have to have a good singing voice. It doesn't say it has to be a a, a beautiful noise to everyone else. It's a beautiful noise to the Lord. Sing with whatever voice God's given you and make music to Him. It's a joyful noise to God, reflecting a heart that loves God. And you know, as we worship God as well, as we come together corporately and worship God, God gives us gifts. God doesn't only give us the gift of the spirit, he gives us other gifts that we use to encourage each other and to worship him. And we've seen some of those this morning. Um 1 Corinthians and chapter 14 and verse 26 says what, Paul says, what shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue That's uh, speaking in a language that you've not learned, or an interpretation. And he says, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. What's Paul saying? He's saying that as we come together, we've all got something to contribute. Now, we're going to go on and see how he gives lots of gifts, and some of those gifts are not specifically going to be outworked within a meeting together, within a gathering together. But a number of them are. Because when we meet together, that's a great time to encourage one another and to build each other up and to, and to sing to each other and bring things to each other. So Paul's saying, well, each one of you has got something to bring. God's given something to you and to you and to you and to you and to you. And when you come... All of these must be outworked. So someone's going to bring a hymn and someone's going to bring a word of instruction and someone's going to bring something which is a revelation to people. Someone might bring a tongue in a different language but then someone else brings an interpretation so that we can understand that and and agree with it. And someone might bring a prophecy. All of this is done when we gather together so the church is built up. It's not just about the leaders, the pastors, the elders bringing things and then everyone else watching. It's about everyone having something. God gives each one of us gifts and we're encouraged to stir those gifts of the spirit up in us and to use them to encourage each other. And these gifts that God gives us say something about God's character and they say something about his heart for us. They speak volumes about God. Often when we get a gift off someone, it says something about the person who gives it, doesn't it? That you, you kind of sometimes can guess who certain gifts are from when they give you at Christmas if you don't know because of the gift that they are. Oh yeah, it's probably Sons who gave me that, I see why. Because that says something about them as well as something about what we might want or what we might need. And, and God's gifts certainly do that. God's gifts are for our benefit and to encourage each other. But they're, they're certainly saying something about who God is. They're reflecting his character. And they need to be used. Many people, when they think about God's gifts and hear about God's gifts, they can kind of have a, a, a take-it-or-leave-it attitude towards them. Oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, I see that there's some gifts. I'm, you know, I'm not being too bothered about that, really. i have not really. I'm okay as I am. I, I like to just come, and I don't really want to do that. These are gifts. We have to understand what these are. These are gifts given to us by almighty God. God is saying, here's a gift. I want you to have it. This is going to bless you. This is going to benefit you. And it's going to bless others around you in the church and that's what i want to give you and it's specifically going to be you who i'm choosing because it's you who's going to bring that in such an amazing way and i'm going to give you this other gift and you're going to really encourage people in this way so let's not just be kind of blasé or ah about about the gifts of god they're from god they're grace gifts as well we don't earn them we've done nothing to earn them but they're to be wanted not just tolerated, not just ah, accepted. In fact, Paul talks about longing for them, eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, longing for them. My son is uh, longing for a new Lego roller coaster for his birthday. (laughs) Sadly, I don't have the infinite resources that God has. Um, (laughs) But he's eagerly desiring it. (laughs) He's, He's asking us, lots about it you know there's there's an eagerness there he's like this would be a great gift this would be a great gift dad and i think yeah i'm sure it would but he's got something in that he's desiring something but do we have that with god you know for each one of us do we do we eagerly desire the gifts that god gives us let's Look, look what he says at the start of this chapter. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then he goes on. We'll leave this verse up for a while because we'll we'll look at some of these gifts. But we need to eagerly desire the gifts that God is giving us. Are you eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit? Are you wanting to use them to encourage and build up others in the church? Paul says it must be done. It must be done. We actively pursue them because they bring glory to God. They encourage and strengthen each other. They display something about God's character. Here's one or two of them that Paul refers to here, and we're going to move on and look at some others when we look at uh, at how we serve. Tongues and interpretation. This gift uh, is um, slightly different to the others in that the gift of tongues or languages, spiritual languages, is primarily a gift which edifies and builds up ourselves and the individual ourselves in our relationship with God. And so Paul does bring some instruction about how it should be used in a corporate gathering, in a church meeting. The Corinthian church had kind of gone overboard with it, and they were just speaking in tongues and in different languages the whole time. And Paul said, do you know what? No one's really understanding what's going on. There's no interpretation going on here. It's just all these different languages. People are walking in, and they're thinking you're crazy. So he says, so I'm not... I'm not saying don't do that. It still is a gift to build up the church. He says don't forbid it, but he brings some direction. Because the gift of tongues primarily is a gift that builds us up ourselves. Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than any of you. So he must use it a lot to strengthen himself in God, to build himself up in his relationship with God. So it's used as we pray to God. But Paul says there is that place in a corporate gathering. Don't forbid it here we should use it. So he says, this is what he says. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. So that tells us something. When someone speaks in a tongue, now that's what Nancy brought this m- Where's she gone? There. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's what Nancy brought this morning. My eyesight's not what it used to be. Um, <laughs> that's what Nancy brought this morning. She brought a language and, uh, and, and, she, and she brought a, a prayer to God, that wasn't a language that she'd learned herself, and it was to God. So anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people, but speaks to God. So it's like a prayer to God. The direction is Godward. And then, and then Paul, in a, another part of that, talks about if there is a tongue, then the person who brings it should interpret themselves, or someone else should bring an interpretation. And that interpretation, so that we can all understand what it is, and we can all we can all say, oh yes, we, we agree God, is also tends to be Godward. Because the tongue is speaking to God, so the interpretation of it will also tend to be speaking to God. There'll often be some sort of sense of revelation in that as well, um, but uh, but that's what it is. Now, it's an interpretation. It's not a translation. So we're not looking for a definite translation. That's why it's one of those gifts that can be, that can be a little difficult sometimes because we're, we're sensing, well, is that what God's saying? Is that, the, is that the, the sense of it? Well, it's okay. It doesn't have to be exact. It'll be getting hold of something. It's like the flavor of something. You're getting the flavor of what was being um, prepared. And sometimes, as, uh, as Hazel said, oh, just feel there's a little bit more to bring of that as well. Maybe someone else senses they've got something. Like when a meal is being prepared, and and someone uh, comes in, and one of our kids came in, yes, I think it was Josh again, he came and said, "Oh, I can smell. Uh, I smell something really good. What is it?" And and you're like, "Oh, well, I think it's tomatoes." And then, well, maybe it's maybe it's the potatoes that are cooking in the oven. Whatever it is, it's all part of it, and we can bring a sense of what God, um, what is being prayed to God. Um, there'll be that r- element of revelation to it, maybe a freshness of heaven, it draws people to worship even more. So actually when Nancy came back and she said, I feel there's something more, because that's what the Bible says, if, if you feel there's something more that you brought, come and bring it. So she did that this morning. She did that in, in English and she said, this is what it, I feel it was said. It's about worshiping and, and about being your child. And it lifts us up and it draws us more into worship. And all these things operate by faith. All these things operate by faith so we 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 take a step of faith and we come and we say okay god i feel this is what you're saying we might not even have it all to start off with but we believe in god so these are gifts that we should ask god for now sometimes uh, some someone can bring a sense of the, of the prophetic uh, uh, sorry of, of the interpretation and they can they can say it in a kind of god to us way and and that's what bromwin did this morning and there was nothing wrong with that, that's fine, it's, it's good. Um, but often we can maybe turn that around and, and say this is what God was doing because it's, it's, it's going Godward. Uh, and actually I think there was something prophetic in what Bronwyn brought as well, uh, which I'm going to go on to, which is God speaking to us. So don't get confused by all these things. These are all things that we work out in faith and we and we try as leaders to try and help encourage and direct and explain things as they go. But this is all being done so that God can be glorified, so that we can be encouraged in worship and in what was being brought. So let's not be passive. Let's ask God for these gifts. Prophecy, that's uh, another gift that God wants us to, especially, uh, Paul says, especially seek after this gift. Um, so there, that's God speaking to us. The one who prophesies speaks uh, to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's what prophecy is. It strengthens us, encourages us, comforts us. You could say builds up, stirs up, cheers up. That's often how I remember it. Um, And that's what a prophecy should do. So it's not like an Old Testament prophet who often came and told people off and said, you know, you've really got to watch out because God's bringing his judgment. That's not what prophecy in the church is, so we, we, we're not really going to welcome someone who comes and says, uh, we're not going to welcome them to bring it, someone who comes and says, I feel God's saying, you know, you're all in sin and you need to repent, otherwise I'm going to destroy the church, all right? Now, God may challenge us on things, and we need to be open to what God's saying, but prophecy in the terms of a meeting is to build us up, stir us up in acts of faith, and to cheer us up and to comfort us, um, It's not an infallible word from heaven. So we're told to weigh it and to test it. So it's not like scripture. Scripture, we don't judge the scripture. We don't read a scriptural passage and say, well, I'm not really sure about that. Actually, scripture is supposed to judge us and to judge our hearts. And we line up in in accordance with what the scripture is saying. And where there's a separation and there's a difference, we say, well, we're gonna line up with God, however difficult this verse seems. We don't do that with prophecy. We test uh, prophecies. <coughs> we do judge them in a way. And uh, we see whether it's biblical or not. And we, and we weigh it corporately. Not just the leaders, actually. It's corporately. We weigh it. Um, and we do want to value them. First Thessalonians says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. And reject every kind of evil. So there'll be things, because we're human, there'll be things that we bring that we feel God's saying. And, you know, usually we don't have to say, uh, this is the word of God, the definitive word of God. We bring it and we weigh it and we we test it and we say, you know, that was really good. I'm not so sure about that. But we don't judge people because we're all encouraged to bring something together. We're not saying, oh, you got that wrong. No, 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 no. We corporately just get in a sense, he's God speaking to us. Is he encouraging us? Has he led us more in faith? And so we can, we can do that. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Paul encourages everyone to desire the gift of prophecy. Interestingly, some churches say, or everyone, if they're, if they're a Christian and they're filled with the Spirit, they should all speak in tongues. Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say everyone should prophesy either, but he says everyone should desire to prophesy. Everyone should desire the gift of prophecy because the spirit in God in, of God in us wants to encourage others. And so when we come together in faith, let's be open to what God's saying. It doesn't have to be corporately like this. It could be a few people together, a life group, just some friends together. What's God saying to encouraging, to encourage others? What, what do you feel God's saying? Stir up the spirit of God within you. Don't put out the spirit's fire. Take risks knowing that there's no judgment. And the effects of all of these things have the, uh, have the sense that people say, God is here. It's amazing when you have meetings where you just think, wow, God's presence was really tangible this morning. That's what we want to press into, and we want to go deeper, and we want to get to the point where the worship leader and the meeting leader are really just trying to keep bringing order to things rather than to encourage things to happen. All right, that's the first thing. As I said, that's the longest. We're not going to as long with the other two. Secondly, Spirit of God also transforms the way in which the church works. Uh, it's not just about worship meetings, it's not just about experiences with God. We're also called to serve and that is hard work often. And hard work flows from the inner prompting of the Spirit. And that hard work will come with a great heart attitude as well uh, and with supernatural power because we're in the spirit as opposed to being under the law or in the flesh. It's not that someone's telling us what we have to do. It's coming as a response from the spirit within us. And we're not working to be noticed or accepted. It just flows from the gifts and the grace that God has given us. So in Romans chapter uh, 12... Paul gives some more more gifts, a different set of gifts to those in 1 Corinthians. He also mentions prophecy, which he's encouraging everyone to do, to seek after. Um, But he's also saying there's gifts of serving. So let those who've got that gift serve. And some have gifts of teaching, and some have gifts of encouraging, and some have gifts of giving to the needs of others. And others have got leadership, and others have got showing mercy. These are all gifts that God gives us by his Spirit, and they flow out of the gift of the Holy Spirit that God's put within us and it's an expression of faith and it communicates life and it brings glory to Jesus and that's what Jesus did he came as the servant of the Lord he came humbly serving people so the spirit of Jesus in people will make them into people who serve who serve each other the new testament puts a very high value on serving and on giving to each other Acts chapter 6, right at the start of the early church, Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, there was a situation where widows uh, were being overlooked in the distribution of, of food. I mean, the church was growing crazily um, and some people were being missed out. And, uh, and so the apostles said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you to, to help with this who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we'll turn this responsibility over to them. Interesting. The criteria for serving food to people, be full of the Spirit. They didn't, it, was, it wasn't just like, oh, these people are full of the Spirit. They're prophesying in meetings. They're bringing tongues and interpretation. They're all going for it. You know, there's a few people sitting over there. They don't really seem to be that Spirit-filled at all. Just give them the job of serving the food. Get them involved somehow, you know, and maybe we'll, we'll get them included. No, no, no. Full of the Spirit. And, wisdom. and they're the ones who go and serve the food. Later on, we see some of them being evangelists and witnessing to, to um, Ethiopian uh, rulers. And Stephen is one of them as well. He's martyred for his faith. He preaches an amazing message. But no, they're serving. They're serving in quite a mundane job, just making sure everyone's got food. One of the features of a truly spiritual church is that people are very willing to volunteer and serve freely. One of the characteristics of a legalistic church that's external pressure is that people serve just because they're they're told they should do, or there is that pressure to do it, or because they they might serve because they want recognition, or because they're trying to prove their own value and find some sort of acceptance. But when you're standing in grace, you know you're accepted, and when you know you're accepted, then you just serve. You serve freely, and, and, and you just do things for people. And the Spirit of God gives us power to serve. It's like a a dynamo. The Greek word for for power is is dunamis. It's, It's like an inner dynamo within us, giving us power to get the job done. It's not coming from outside. It's the Spirit, the dynamo within us, helping us to serve. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, I work by the grace of God. I am what I am. His grace wasn't without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So he's saying, I'm, I'm working and serving harder than everyone. It's motivated, not from outside, but the, from what's inside. That's a dynamo. The Bible tells us that we serve in everyday life. He, he urges in, in, First, in Romans 12 and verse 1, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a li- as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's worship that God finds acceptable Offer in sacrifice and in serving people of the Spirit, working, serving each other, as well as in worship. Hard work sometimes. Maybe this is an emphasis that's got lost a little. Maybe especially, I feel, with younger generations who've got a great desire to worship God, and that's so good. A desire to worship God. But if we're not careful, it can just become about our worship times and our community together. And it can actually lack this whole emphasis that the Bible says about serving in the power of the Spirit. So it encourages, let's not just look for other worship meetings to attend. Let's get stuck in with serving each other, allowing the Spirit of God to serve each other in and through the church and those outside of the church as well. Because that also happens through the Holy Spirit. Which leads us on to the third thing, the Spirit of God enables us to witness. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, you will receive, this is Jesus, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the work that Jesus begins continues through the church. He says, you will be my witnesses. The Spirit of God coming on people means there's going to be an impact on those outside the church. John chapter 16 and verse 7 says, When he comes, the Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. In other words, to convict people of their sin. To be in the, w- in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Spirit does. And the people of the Spirit, if we're a people of the Spirit, we will have an effect on people around us. It's not just that people just get drawn in. We don't just sit in our cozy little groups. But as we're people, as we go out, people get affected. The gifts that God gives us affect others. And some of those gifts, as we've seen, are are works of mercy. It impacts the areas that we live in if we use works of mercy, gifts of mercy. And the Bible speaks of signs and wonders confirming God's work to people as well. So we see in the book of Acts how the community they were in, the people saw God breaking out in power. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, it says in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there in Iconium speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So the Holy Spirit's at work with those outside of the church as well, empowering their witness. So it's not just about words. It's about God confirming by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Spirit of God in us affects our worship, affects our work, and affects our witness. This is all such a far cry from religion, from democracy, from pastoral foundations we were looking at last time. This is what an apostolic and a prophetic church is like. It's about us being a people of the Spirit. It's God's way to change the world. God wants us to be that kind of church where we're all filled with the Spirit, where we're all moving in that power, stirred by the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to do what He wants us to do, bringing glory to Jesus in a way that's beyond our natural ability. That's what we're seeking after. That's what we're aiming for. Sometimes we can feel, oh, that seems a long way from where I am. But that's what God has got for us, brothers and sisters. That's what we can press into in faith. And we can seek God for. Do you know what? We, we've got an enemy who wants to stop that happening. We've got an enemy who wants to stop the church being that sort of people. In Genesis 26 and verse 18, it speaks of Isaac going to a place called Gerar. It says, Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Now Abraham, his father, had been there before. And he dug wells. He dug wells. And it says, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. So this is, I believe, a, a, a representation of what can happen with the spirit. Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham was looking for and believing what God had said to him about blessing the nations. And he was a man who dug wells. And the Philistines came and they blocked the wells. The enemies came and they blocked the wells. Isaac's reopening the wells and he's giving them the same name. Church, we have these wells of the Spirit within us. When we come to know God, we, we, we receive his Spirit in us. We receive his Spirit. And, and all that I've talked about today is what the Spirit longs to do that's the desire of God in us in the spirit but you know what these wells need to be opened to come out and often they get blocked often the the enemy comes and he keeps dumping earth dumping garbage in them whatever it is distraction sin unbelief despair lies and the flow stops so sometimes we can gather as a church and 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 people's heads are down, and we can sing, and it seems, well, there's, there's not a lot happening. We're seeing what it should be like in the Bible, but it doesn't really seem to be that way. Well, well what, what's wrong? Well, the Philistines have dumped some more earth in. Things are just getting blocked. But God sends Isaac to open the wells. God wants a church where the wells of the Spirit are, wea- are reopened, where the Spirit of God is poured out, where worship is flowing, where spiritual gifts are at work, where we're working and serving with God's dynamo of activity, where we're witnessing and seeing people saved. There's no reason those things shouldn't be happening because it's what God wants and it's what God's put in us. And God's power is available for us as a church. We're being built together to become a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We can't be anything else. This is our calling. This is us. We need to want to have that earth removed and the spirit of God to flow through us again. We want the church to be all that God's called us to be. Why don't we stand together? The worship band might just want to come up. Because I believe this morning as as people have as as we've been hearing what it means to be a people of the spirit, I believe God's stirring faith in hearts of people this morning, those among us. I believe He's stirring faith. I believe He's giving us a fresh picture of what it is and who we're meant to be. I believe for some there's been that recogni- that recognition. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're not who we were. Maybe actually we knew something of that life. We knew something of that power. We knew something of that joy. And it's not there now. And maybe it's been stopped up. Maybe it is by sin. Maybe it is by just discouragement. Maybe it's by cynicism. But I believe God's wanting to reopen some of those wells this morning, all of those wells this morning, so we can be that people of the Spirit. Why don't you just start to play? We're just going to come before God. We're going to worship in a moment. I'm just going to ask God to come now by his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you, God. We don't want to despise you. We don't want to despise the gifts that you give us. We stand in awe and wonder at all that you've given us at the life that you've given us, the forgiveness in Jesus Christ, the adoption as children into God's family. And then, Lord, you pour out, Father, you pour out gifts through your Spirit to us. You say they're good gifts. They're good gifts. Father God, stir them up again in us, Lord. Holy Spirit, or will you deal with the garbage in our lives? Let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that easily entangles. Let us run the race marked out for us, Lord. Holy Spirit, just come and gently deal with each one of us as we worship you this morning. Thank you for your presence amongst us. We long to be that church that you've called us to be. We don't want to. We don't want to embrace anything else we don't want to embrace anything which is easier, we don't want to embrace anything which is for our glory and not your glory we want to run and hold on to all that you have for us Lord so come Holy Spirit as we worship you right now, let's just begin to worship God and as we worship God I just believe God's going to be moving and dealing with us by his spirit Let's be open to what God's doing. Let's not be fearful. He's not bringing anything that is scary. He's not bringing anything that is evil. Let's just respond as God meets with us and as we worship him.